the misconception that architectural acoustics uh, as a science lays beyond the abilities of the architect to address. And there are times, I think I mentioned this uh, in a previous conversation the three of us had, there are times where an acoustician can do a lot, where the architect can't do it alone. Um, actually, most of the time, the architect probably needs an acoustical consultant, but that doesn't mean the architect can't learn. Hi, I'm Paul Mankowski, Editor-in-Chief at Architect Magazine, Today, we've invited two experts on sound, and our topic today is to help understand the five acoustic mistakes to avoid when designing a space. Our first panelist is Michael Ehrman, a professor at Virginia Tech School of Architecture, where he teaches design studio, environmental building systems, and both teaches and researches architectural acoustics. He's also the author of the excellent award-winning book, Architectural Acoustics Illustrated, which translates the discipline of acoustics into the graphic language of architecture. Our second speaker is Steve Udolph, who is the National Sales Manager for CertainTeed Architectural, covering a wide range of standard and custom product collections in felt, wood, metal, fiberglass, and more. Steve has spent his entire career in the interior specialties business, putting his dual degrees in marketing and management information systems to work in a field that thrives on design, messaging, and technology. We'd like to thank the underwriter of today's episode, CertainTeed Architectural. From economical acoustical panels and suspension systems to unique ceiling showpieces in metal, felt, fiberglass, and wood, CertainTeed Architectural has the right solution for every space and every budget, all with the backing of design consultants, technical experts, and world-class customer support to help you unleash the creative potential of every project. CertainTeed Architectural will manage the details so you can focus on pushing the boundaries of ceiling and wall design. Today, we wanna to talk about five acoustical mistakes to avoid when designing a space. We always wanna create beautiful interiors. So what are some of these common mistakes that you guys are seeing and what we can do to avoid them? You know, space planning is such an important part. So maybe let's start with that. How do you avoid mistakes when designing a space and taking space planning into consideration? Michael, you want to start? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's you know, space planning is, it's so cheap. It's so much more effective to start, you know, start by uh, getting the placement of the rooms right and the, the sizes of the rooms right kind of at the beginning. I can do more with some good um, uh, noise-based space planning at the beginning than all the engineering and acoustical treatments and specialized doors and so forth, the, uh, um, uh, high transmission loss walls. All of those really, um, none of those really work as well as just frankly, just getting the noisy spaces away from the quiet spaces. And just because it's easy to do that does not mean it's done often, it's often not done. And so just kind of, you know, not, putting the bathrooms adjacent to the, the concert hall and, and, and putting the mechanical room on one end of the building and the classrooms on the other, and then having some of the gym and cafeteria and that kind of thing in between as buffer spaces. Uh, hallways are good buffer spaces, uh, the closets and all those other uh, support spaces that our buildings have. Um, these are good, good buffer spaces. And you really, frankly, don't need any training to do it. If you think the room is gonna be loud, it's going to be loud, and if you think the room is going to be quiet or going to need quiet around it, it needs to be, it's going to be quiet. So you want to keep room, and some rooms are both, right? You may have a 
a movie theater, which both needs to be quiet. You don't want sound coming in from outside or from the ducts, but it's also going to be loud from within. So uh, um, just kind of, uh, uh, you know, there's so many things that an architect is doing in those early stages of design. Uh, but but folding that in as part of the checklist is like one more thing to be thinking about, where as you're laying out rooms, you're thinking about which spaces are loud and quiet. And then if you do that well, especially with the mechanical spaces, um, uh, if you kind of uh, think about the ducts typically are going to run from the uh, mechanical rooms uh, to the quiet spaces, if you can get the quiet spaces as far away as possible from those mechanical rooms, those quiet spaces will also benefit from long duct runs. And again, there's no amount of engineering I can do uh, that will get me as quiet as just very long duct runs. So if you can do long duct runs, which are going to be free because you have to run to the farthest room no matter what. Um, so just make sure the farthest room is also the most quiet. The only other thing I would add is just to know the materials that you're you're designing into into each space. Um, you know, hard materials. So if you know you have a concrete floor and you have concrete walls. And, and, you, and you, you know that you're going to have some echoing in any space, be it a small or big. The bigger the space, the more possibility of flutter echo. So you, you, you need to just make sure that you're taking a look at the different materials you're putting in and, and realizing, hey, I'm probably going to have to put some type of acoustical material into these spaces to make sure we don't have uh, uh, within room echo. And then you know, stopping sound from transferring from room to room it, it's a whole nother ball game. And, and I think Michael hit on that really well about designing, designing a building to know where your space, where your noise is coming from and keeping the quiet spaces away from that. Great. Um, let's talk about another point, which I've heard uh, is, a, is sometimes a common mistake, which is conflating airborne noise isolation with room acoustics with impact noise mitigation. Um, Michael, can you explain that those concepts better? Sure. This is probably the most substantial mistake that people make. We should call this one like the pitfall. I don't know. There has to be something, something more severe than mistake. Um, uh, and and in, in the same way, um, you have weather. So, you know, it's hot or cold out. It's windy or still out. It's uh, raining or sunny out. Um, and you can have any combination of those. It can be, you know, sunny and cold and still. It can be windy and rainy, you know. Um, in the same way, you can have an assembly uh, that performs one way with room with regard to room acoustics, and by room acoustics, I mean um, things like concert halls and theaters and auditoria and banquet halls and, mo and movie theaters and um, uh, spaces where there is a lecture halls, spaces where there is a source that needs to be heard and a bunch of people, usually a bunch of people who need to be able to hear it clearly. Classrooms, I'll include that in there as well. Um, and room acoustics is all about things like reverberance at kind of the basic level. And then as you move into things like concert halls, you're talking about things like um, uh, 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 promoting lateral reflections, lateral sound reflections, and uh, uh, low frequency reflections that, that produce what's called acoustical warmth. Um, and all kinds of, uh, uh, frankly, um, fairly sophisticated things that we'll get to that in a little bit later. There, most of the time, you don't need to be that sophisticated, but um, but uh, but that's room acoustics. Now, completely, almost completely separate from that is uh, airborne noise control. So, airborne noise control is um, the sound from the adjacent room, or even well, it's almost always the adjacent room. It's almost never two rooms down, right? So. This is where back, you know, back to kind of buffer spaces comes in. But 
if you can, you know, put a buffer space between two rooms, it'll almost always solve the problem. But, um, but when we have a sound going from one room to another, and so we may have a, uh, we may have a, uh, oh, I don't know, let's say it's a mechanical room. And then on the other side of the mechanical room is a classroom. And uh, we want to make sure the sound doesn't go between the two. Now, something I, something that, you know, kind of a subset of that is, I think often people will focus in that case on the average, you know, so they'll focus on the wall, but actually probably 75% of the time, if there's an issue, it's it's about the weakest link. So it's about the, the, the partition that doesn't go all the way up to the deck above it. So it's going over top of the ceiling or the, um, uh, or the gypsum board that doesn't go all the way to the floor or the door that's next to the other door in the hallway. So it flanks around the, you know, there's flanking path around through the hallway or uh, through uh, electrical receptacles on and on and on. So it becomes kind of a detailing game where, where you're kind of thinking about, uh, you're thinking about what the weakest path, you know, the kind of weakest link is. And then you're, you're bolstering that because making a better wall when you have a hole in the wall, essentially from an acoustic point of view, because you have a bracket that holds a TV or something um, or a recessed niche, um, that's, that's not gonna do any good. That's, that's a drop in the ocean. Um, uh, and, then, and then I guess, thirdly, uh, impact noise. So um, footfall. So um, you have people walking upstairs. Typically this is an issue in multifamily housing, especially in wood construction in multifamily housing. And uh, that's a separate thing altogether. So people will say, oh, that's a good, that's a good acoustic assembly, but that's not really a thing. That's like giving a single number rating to the weather. Um, so you say, okay, what do I need here? And I need absorption or I need reflections here. Generally rooms for uh, unamplified music performance generally need more sound reflection. Uh, rooms for either amplified speech, amplified music or unamplified speech generally need, generally uh, need, uh, um, need a lower reverberation time or more absorption. And, uh, um, and uh, that is completely orthogonal or independent from whether or not an assembly is gonna be good at keeping the sound out from the next room, which is, or the room below, let's use a floor ceiling assembly. So, um, uh, so if you have a TV on one hotel room, the question is, can the people below it, below them hear it? And that is a completely different question than if you have people walking above, can those, can people below hear the people in the hotel room above walking, walking around? And so, um, uh, uh, people tend to conflate those and they think, oh, if it has a high sound trans transmission class or SDC level, it must therefore have a high IIC. And in reality, that's often not the case. Now, there's probably a fourth and a fifth thing too. Um, the fourth thing is mechanical noise. Um, and so uh, that we talked about a little bit, which again is completely different than, than, than uh, impact isolation and completely different, you know, because that's typically going down to ducts. Um, uh, and then, and then finally, electroacoustic. So, you know, is there a loudspeaker system or an AV system? You know, I always like to say when you're talking about sound transmission, sound stoppage, it, it sound is like water. If there's a crack, it will find a way. And so, you, you have to really do exactly what Michael said. You have to find the weakest link, and you have to do the best you can to um, to, to stop that. And and um, you know, we've all been in. We've all been in a hotel where you can hear the people above you running around or moving chairs or doing something like that. 
that is that is completely different than than trying to stop the noise that's within the room. Um, and they make products to do that, whether it's resilient channeler or whatever you you may be putting in there to try to stop that sound. But it's it's a lot tougher than it is to keep the sound with it, to keep other sound within a room. So I think that's really important. And then when you start looking at at in-room acoustics, obviously it's 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 all about stopping the echo and 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 absorbing the sound. So other than that, that's like I said, I think Michael covered it pretty doggone well. Um, yeah, I'd agree. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm always hearing uh, on projects being designed by architects and designers is bringing in consultants or bringing in specialists. Like, when do you bring them in? And um, I heard that, you know, failing to bring consultants, acoustic consultants on board early enough is is always a big problem so what what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean i don't know how to i don't know how to um i don't know how to say it without sounding judgy <laughs> but, <laughs> but as an industry as an industry this is something you know it's, and it's a chicken and egg right we can't bring everyone in at the beginning right um and, and we're deadline oriented we have deadlines and we tend yeah. to bring in people afterward to kind of figure out how to take our existing design and make it work but that's not really the way it's supposed to, it's not really the best way to do it. It's not even close, it's not even the second best way to do it. So the um, you want to bring, if it's an acoustical consultant, you want to bring in early, but even if it's a mechanical engineer, you know, I mean, you know, you design the mechanical space and, you know, the space for the ducts in the shaft going from floor to floor and the mechanical engineer says, I need more space in that. And the architect says, no, no, you can't have more space. And that's like insane because you know, now that now the air is going, you know, 3,500 feet per minute through the, you know, now the air is screaming through the duct and it's really loud and it applies to everything, right? I mean, I think we all kind of know it, just like we all know that, you know, certain foods aren't healthy, but eat them anyway. Um, but there, there, there must be a way that, that architects can, can and, and not just consultants, also um, people like Steve, people who are, you know, building in the building products world. Um, uh, and, and, you know, for that matter, uh, uh, you know, people who are into construction or whatever, there, there must be a way that we can do a little bit of it. I know we can do a better job of bringing these people in early. And I know that part of it is that we're busy and part of it is that we just are hoping they'll just fix it. But, you know, I have to suspect just based on my own experience as a designer and as an architect, um, that we don't want those other people ruining our project <laughs> at the beginning. You know, the beginning is our time to kind of make the, make it. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to that because, um, because it, it is true, if you were to bring in every, you know, if you made it designed by committee and you brought in every electrical contractor, and every uh, uh, every civil engineer, and at the very, very, very beginning, um, you would have a, uh, you would probably have a lesser building if you gave them too much credence. But but we're not there yet. I mean, the the problem is that we're bringing them in way too late. So there there may be something where we can bring them in, you know, a third of the way through schematic design instead of halfway through design development. Um, so that we can have the first crack at the building, but then let them come in early enough because frankly, nobody's going to change their building because of what the acoustical consultant says. So what winds up happening is the acoustical consultant says, you can't do that. The architect says, no, no, no we're going to do that. Just make it work. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, physics is physics and it's, you know, really difficult to make that work. Um, Steven, you work uh, in the real world. So what are you seeing, where are you seeing, um, you know, are you seeing this as a problem or um, how, how are you making sure that when you talk to your clients that um, 
they're avoiding this? So I'm not seeing it as a problem because this is usually upstream from us. We're usually downstream from when an acoustical consultant or somebody like that would be hired. Okay. And, and um, you know, when, when the designers come to us, it's almost always they have been, set, they have been told this is, the, this is how much absorption you need in a space. And, and remember, I deal mainly in absorption. I don't deal in stoppage of sound very much at all. Uh, uh, that's just not, that's not our business. Um, but it's, they almost always say, you know, I need a product and it's got to be this NRC. And rarely do we, um, rarely do we argue or, or, or um, do anything other than try to help our products match what the absorption they're looking for. So in our case, we don't deal with sound um, acquisitions and sound experts like that very often. It's almost always done by the time they get to us. By the time they get to us, they're looking for a product that, that they can install to make whatever the recommendation was come to fruition. Right, yeah. I think you're selling yourself short a little bit, Steve, because, you know, and, and to be clear, I haven't been paid by certain people, but they, what you're doing right now is getting upstream, right? I mean, so, you know, there's a, uh, we were That's talking true. a little bit about, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about it, is that, is that you know, it's really nice that you guys are doing what you're doing with this, with sponsoring this podcast, because you're getting upstream of people and being helpful, you know, before they have to go to a forum and enter in, you know, what the budget and the location of their project is to, you know, to get help from someone like you guys. Um, you guys are offering, you know, you guys are being helpful and, and offering some value before, before the, all the decisions have to be made. And that's, that's pretty much what I was talking about. Well, that's true. And, and, you know, we, we are always here to, um, to help guide design and we do that a lot. Um, but, but from an acoustical consultant standpoint, we don't, get involved with the, with the consultants very much. We, we, we help out on the kind of on the back end once that process is, is, is done. We'd like to thank the underwriter of today's episode, Certainteed Architectural, from economical acoustical panels and suspension systems to unique ceiling showpieces in metal, felt, fiberglass, and wood. Certainteed Architectural has the right solution for every space and every budget all with the backing of design consultants, technical experts, and world-class customer support to help you unleash the creative potential of every project. CertainTeed Architectural will manage the details so you can focus on pushing the boundaries of ceiling and wall design. And now back to the show. One of the, the mistakes uh, that I'm hearing is that, you know, when we talk about spaces that share air, there's this belief that you can isolate sound in spaces that share air. Um, what do you have to say about that, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I, have, I can't be done. There is a, uh, a, a completely admirable approach where we're giving people, especially in the workplace, we're giving them access to daylight that often requires some shared air. Right, um, right. Where, you know, in some cases we're promoting cross ventilation that obviously creates, that obviously, um, uh, that obviously uh, necessitates some shared air, um, but just know, and the, man, the, the post-occupancy evaluations, you know, studies from Berkeley and everywhere else, and just common sense backs it up. People are really happy with the air, they're happy with the light, but they are really miserable with the sound. And, and there is no, I cannot stress this enough, if you're sharing air, there is no way to uh, maintain speech privacy and, and keep the distractions down from someone else having a phone conversation. So, I mean, I'm sharing air right now with a colleague of mine 
and uh, she's hearing all this and there's no way she's getting any work done. Uh, she's to my right off camera, but, um, but there's no way she's getting any work done because I'm talking, you know, I'm talking to you guys the whole time. And, and I think everyone knows that intuitively as, you know, as many architecture uh, offices have, have bullpens where bullpens, um, where there's shared air, uh, but somehow when they start designing they think, oh, if we, you know, I mean, it's, you know, even my colleagues, even some of my colleagues who frankly are in, are in building science will, you know, suggest what we need is more open, you know, open classrooms so there can be collaboration. It's like, man, go talk to a teacher or a kid who's in an open classroom. Not a one of them will, will, will say it's a, not a horrible, I mean, they won't even be neutral on it. Every one of them will be like, please fix this. Because when the, when the classroom next door has movie day and we're trying to, uh, learn spelling words we just can't I, we're listening to the audio of a movie the whole time and there's nothing at all that can be done about it there's no amount of absorption uh, that's gonna um, that's gonna and this is where you know this is where if certainty was paying me they'd stop but there's no amount of there's no amount of absorption that's going to address the speech privacy issue and the distraction issue because even if you you know put absorption everywhere you may lower the um, you may lower the uh, uh, you may lower the, the sound level by on a couple of decibels. It may even be audible how much you lowered it by if you had some kind of an A-B recording where you could flip back and forth to this is what it sounds like without absorption, this is what it sounds like with absorption. But the problem with that is that uh, if I were to talk you know, a little bit more quietly, um, uh, Quinn next to me would be just as distracted. Like if I talk, you know, if I lowered it, it's not like she's far away. And so, um, and, so uh, uh, and in fact, there's you know, some evidence um, although much of it's anecdotal, that if you make it more reverberant, it's less likely that she's going to be able to, you know, it's, my speech becomes less intelligible. It becomes more like a racquetball court. So, um, uh, but that's a, that's a big kind of mistake to avoid, or what are we calling it? I don't know what to call it, but a big, a big pitfall or sand trap or something. Yeah, I mean, we see this all the time with the exact, exact situations Michael's talking about. I mean, it, it, you've got a bullpen of, of, of cubicles or desks and you're trying to keep the sound down and we've we've installed clouds and we've installed higher partitions and we've we've done everything we can do the the, the reality is it's it's if somebody talks loud the person next to him is going to hear it and and um they they've they, they do have they do they have equipment sound machines things like that 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 are supposed to help with this but it, it's it's really really hard to to stop and absorb sound in you know open space when you have a whole lot of people in it so we don't we don't um we don't see a lot of success but we do install a lot of things like clouds and things like that specifically over cubicles to stop some of the echo and things like that from but you're still talking about noise leaving space to space when architects and, and designers are designing spaces what are some of the myths around, let's say, acoustical myths uh, that you see that um, people believe and that really aren't true? Yeah, um, yeah there's, a, there's a whole kind of host of, of maybe um, less fundamental misunderstandings, we'll call them, and, and it's, we'll just call them like a basket full of myths, right? So in no particular order, um, uh, ceiling tile is not required to make your space acoustically right. You may need absorption approximately equal to the floor area, but that some of that absorption can be, uh, for instance, on upper portions of the wall or 
uh, upper and lower portions of the rear wall, if you know where the speaker is going to go, that actually may be a better approach for intelligibility, again, for something like a classroom or a lecture room or a theater. Um, so you don't have to use ceiling tile uh, to get it right. Um, a lot of people think carpet offers sound absorption. Cough, carpet is not sound absorptive, or at least the commercial carpet um, that most of us design with has no meaningful uh, sound absorption um, uh, because there's no pad. Now, resident, you know, really plush residential carpet with a pad underneath it can be fairly absorptive. And, and, and it's not that carpet's necessarily super reflective, but it is nowhere near as absorptive as you would think, which is weird because in general, materials that you think would be absorptive, like velour or you know, exposed fiberglass are sound absorptive. And generally materials that you think would be uh, reflective like you know, polished marble or, or smooth concrete are in fact sound reflective. Um, but the, you know, one of the exceptions to that rule that's really commonly misunderstood is that carpet is not absorptive. Um, C, so if A was ceiling tiles not required and B is that carpet offers sound absorption, we'll call C, um, you know, a row of trees will not block community noise. I don't know why. <laughs> All people, the, the thing is, you know, all you have to do is listen, you know, and so, so if you have a, if you have a, uh, if you have a, a dog kennel that has outdoor, outdoor pens and the dogs are barking out there, and if you have a row of trees that will not stop it from reaching the, the multifamily residential complex next door, you need approximately a hundred foot of, of dense vegetation before you get any benefit, and even that's a pretty mild benefit. So. Um, uh, it, it's kind of like that shared air thing. If it's outdoors and the, the source and the receiver can see one another, uh, or, or even if there's a bunch of trees uh, um, it's, and they can't see one another, but there's not enough density to really kind of block the sound, it's not going to help. Uh, D, um, uh, and this is one I actually was dealing with just last night. Um, uh, NCARB uh, put out some practice exams um, uh, to help folks out. It's actually really laudable that they did that to help folks who are studying for the ARE exam. But when they did so, there's one question in particular that people keep asking me about. They just did it last month and I keep banging my head. You know, I, I'm, I'm in contact with them trying to get them to remove the question because um, uh, there, had been a, there has been a myth um, uh, of moderate popularity, uh, moderate widespread uh, a misunderstanding that if you use duct elbows, you can attenuate fan noise. So if you have not, if you have enough 90 degrees in a duct, then the fan noise goes down. In reality, duct elbows do not attenuate fan noise. And in fact, the extra friction they cause may cause the fan to, to make them more noise. And they actually may increase the amount of fan noise, but that is a myth. And I frankly, until last month, never knew where the myth came from. Um, and then uh, NCARB published that and it's free to all architects. So an entire generation, entire cohort, they don't take this off, an entire cohort, instead of having, you know, 30% of the people believe this, it's going to be close to 100% of licensed architects are going to believe this because everyone's using this practice exam. And it says in there, oh, if you use multiple elbows, you can attenuate fan noise. And I, I you know, I wrote to that, I wrote to NCARB, I said, you guys got to change that or take that question off. Um, in fact, in my book, I talk about like, there's a myth out there, you know, I, I essentially explain just what I said to you. There's a myth out there that elbows attenuate, they do not. Now, I never knew where that myth came from, but now I know because NCARB responded and said, oh no, that's true because it's on page, uh, you know, whatever, 1143 of Mechanical and Electrical Equipment for Buildings, MEEB, which, you know, the first, the first, uh, so the first edition of MEEB is from the 40s, I think, uh, maybe earlier. I have a second edition at home and I think it's from 47. 
And, um, and, and so, you know, there are some things in these, especially these older books, there's some things that are wrong. And, and that must be where that, that myth came from and has been echoed down through the generations. And so, um, uh, uh, so you, cannot, uh, you cannot effectively attenuate fan noise by putting some elbows on. Um, number E, um, and this goes back to, it's kind of similar from the row of trees. Um, we'll block the road noise or the train noise with a berm um, or a wall. And while you can uh, block some of it, um, there's two things to know about that. Number one is if the wall isn't high or berm isn't high enough to block the line of sight between the linear noise source, the train tracks or the road, um, and the thing you're trying to keep quiet, like you know the fourth floor of the apartment building, um, then it won't do any good. So if you can look from the fourth floor balcony of the apartment you're in, and you can see the road, and there's a wall or a berm between you and the road, but that but you can still see the road, then the berm or wall has done zero good. Um, and generally, walls and berms do much better if they're either really near the source or really near the receiver. Um, in the middle, they don't do much good. But even if it is taller, that even if it does block the line of sight, um, uh, uh, it still is usually a fairly modest benefit. And so what you wind up with is you wind up with a situation where um, you can still very much hear the road, maybe not as loud, but you can hear it. And often annoyance is based on how loud something is, but there's all kinds of other factors that go into whether or not someone's going to be annoyed by a noise. So if it's an intermittent noise, people will be more annoyed by it. So a dripping faucet will drive people crazy, even though it's not very loud. Um, if it's a noise that people don't think is necessary, uh, people will be annoyed by it. So if it's a siren of a given sound level, people are okay with that because it's an ambulance that's coming to pick someone up. But if it's a motorcycle uh, with an altered muffler, uh, the same no uh, 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 level, people are going to be generally uh, much less forgiving of that. And they're all kind of, you know, whether or not it was always there when they bought the property or, or moved into the property, there's all these kind of other um other non-sound level uh, related issues that come into play with annoyance. And, and the wall will do a little bit for the, depending on how much above the line of sight it extends um, and how close to the source it is or receiver, um, it will do some, some meaningful benefit where again, if I could put you in two different universes, one with the wall, one without and flip you back and forth, you could hear the difference for sure. But in terms of how annoyed you are, it, 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 you may be just as annoyed. F, um, is it needs to be ugly if the acoustic needs are met or, you know, this is nuts to me, you know, this kind of, you know, well, the acoustician said so, so we have to do it. No, you don't. Um, as an architect, it's your job to make things beautiful. I don't care what anyone says. Um, and so um, you can go back to the acoustic, acoustical consultant and you can, um, you can say, well, that's not really going to work with with the rest of our idea or the rest of our scheme. Is there another way <laughs> um, to do that without without those ugly elements uh, kind of inserted? And finally, and probably you know most importantly, um, the, the 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 misconception that architectural acoustics uh, as a science lays beyond the abilities of the architect to address. Um, there are times I think I mentioned this. Uh, in a previous conversation the three of us had, there are times where an acoustician can do a lot, where the architect can't do it alone. Um, actually, most of the time, the architect probably needs an acoustic, acoustical consultant, but um, that doesn't mean the architect can't learn. <laughs> and it's a, architectural acoustics to fix, I don't know, to fix or, or avoid, let's say to avoid, 
to avoid maybe 75% of the most common problems, an architect with, you know, give, give me, put me in the room with an architect for a day, maybe two, and, um, and then uh, those problems aren't going to show up again. So the, 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 the idea that an acoustician, what they do is magic, sometimes it's magic, but most of the time it's not, and the architect is very much, uh, very much able to, to uh, and, and the architect can think in three-dimensional space in a way that the acoustician often cannot. But the, it's very much within the, uh, very much under the umbrella of what the architect can do uh, with a little bit of training uh, to deal with most of the architectural acoustics issues that, that they'd run into. We almost ran out of uh, letters of the alphabet there. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Um, this is now, this is something I've given some thought to, Steve. <laughs> well, and, and you're the expert by all means. I, I, you know, but the only thing I would say is the one thing that we find a lot is with the specifically with the architectural community is the the difference in the thought of of STC versus NRC and and sound stoppage versus sound absorption. And I think it's something that that even as a manufacturer at times that we're still educating at times the difference between what they're trying to do to, to achieve, whether it's it's stopping sound from going room to room or whether it's absorbing the sound within a room. Um, I think I think education is getting better and better, but but we still run into situations where we're we're basically having to, to guide a designer through that. Other than that though, I, I, I don't know what else I don't know what else to add. Um, you know acoustics is it's it's a wonderful thing here but it's also very tough when you're designing and it's 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 something that it takes probably a lot more time than most think when when designers are looking at buildings so other than that though that's that's about all i have well and you know when it's done wrong it really bothers you right it does <laughs> well great um steve and michael this was a fantastic uh, conversation um thank you both for participating um and visit architectmagazine.com to see more of our coverage and to hear more from the architect podcast network thank you <laughs>